Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, while all the kingdoms of the world are going toe-to-toe, thinking about going to war, that's always interesting to look at the news to find out what the bad news is so that we can be more appreciative of the good news. And if we actually knew the good news, if we actually believed the good news, if we were actually doing what Jesus Christ said, there wouldn't be so much bad news. (laughs) But unfortunately, uh, people are sitting in darkness again, just like they were in the days of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other political factions of that uh, nation of Judea back at the time of Jesus Christ. And Jesus brought up lots of things that uh, people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Zealots did not like. Uh, the Zealots evidently attacked uh, Jedi, which was one of the Christian communities. It was an Essene community, but many of the Essenes were some of the earliest uh, people that we would call Christians. They were still calling themselves uh, Jews, but... Uh, uh, and they weren't even calling themselves Essenes, but it, over the thousands of years now, we we put these names on these people to try to figure out uh, what was going on at that time, and so we have to identify people. So we identified this group over here as Sadducees, and this group over here as Pharisees, and this group over here as Zealots, and this group over here as uh, Essenes. And we talk about them as if they were all the same. And of course they weren't because there were some Pharisees that were not far from the kingdom. And there were some Pharisees that were really far from the kingdom. (laughs) But they still called themselves Pharisees. And one of the uh, interesting uh, characters of uh, this uh, idea of who is who uh, was Paul who was a Pharisee, the chief Pharisee amongst Pharisees. And uh, he was uh, evidently a lawyer, uh, studied the law. This was, you know, we talk about studying the law today. We think, well, that's going and studying about government law and, and legal systems. But the reality was in Israel at that time and in Judea, as we call it at that time, the law had a great deal to do with the interpretation of the Torah. This is how they came up with a great many of their interpretations. Just as we go, supposedly, uh, most people don't understand it. Most people haven't even read it. Uh, They go to the Constitution to find out, is this legal law legal under the authority of the Constitution, which supposedly gave authority to... Uh, the legislature to make laws. And, uh, of course, that would be a big mistake to give the power to the legislature to make laws for all the people of America. And when America was first founded, that's not what they were granting with the Constitution, to make laws for every individual and become the sole ruler of every uh, American's life through the Constitution. 
that, as a matter of fact, in the beginning of the Constitution, the people were not even a party to it. That uh, when it says, we the people of the United States, they're not talking about the average American living on his own land in America. This is... Now, that is absolutely foreign to most people. If you tell a lot of people that, especially a constitutionalist, he'll say, that's ridiculous. Uh, but the reality is very clear in history. And we wrote a whole book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, so that you could just take a peek at it. It's not a very long book. We kept it pretty short, you know, uh, uh, Because it doesn't really take a great deal of explanation to explain to you that the Constitution is not a biblical document. It's really an easy argument to make. But you could make that argument to people and they will look at you like a deer in the headlights. (laughs) You shine the light right on them and you show them that the Constitution is not a biblical document. It was not written according to the precept upon precept that God gave us through what we call the Bible today. Uh, and it was not popular amongst Americans had it been put to a popular vote of Americans. It would have been voted down. That historians agree on. So how in the world can you think of the Constitution of the United States as when it says we the people, that it's talking about every American? It isn't. They weren't a party to it. That's been ruled by the Supreme Court over and over again. Now, they may be a party to it now, but things have changed. And looking at those changes is what we often do here at uh, His Holy Church, which is not actually a location. I'm at a location, but His Holy Church is a phrase describing those people that are trying to conform to Jesus Christ and what he commanded for his church. And one of the things that he commanded for his church is it not be a part of the world. And not being a part of the world is what makes it holy if they also are doing what Christ said. So it's it's really that phrase, his holy church, is his, referring to Jesus Christ, holy because it's separate and separate because it's actually doing what Jesus Christ said, which is why we wrote another book, The Free Church Report, because if the church is actually separate from the world, then it is free because it's not subject to the world, which is why Jesus Christ said to Pontius Pilate, the procurator of uh, curator, the procurator of Rome, he said, "My kingdom's not of this world." And he used a word that meant constitutional order and system of government. That's that's I'm I'm quoting right out of you know a concordance. That's what that word meant. It didn't mean planet. It didn't mean age. They have another word in the Greek that means age that is often translated world. They have another word. They actually, none of the words that might mean planet are translated world. <laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, the word that they use there 
means a constitutional order or system of government. Something created by men, established by men, you know, to govern themselves. And, of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots were all together in Judea. And the Pharisees were really the ones that were holding the political party at that time. And they had established the government. They had backed kind of Herod. And so between the Pharisees and Herod, they had created a form of government and that had been around now for some time by the time Jesus showed up. Herod was, you know, almost out the door when Jesus showed up and he had become rather worried that he would lose his position of power. He may have been becoming a little bit senile, but people were still doing what he said because he was the leader. He was uh, kind of the president, prime minister all rolled into one. And so they were doing what he said, even though he might be senile. That would never happen today, would it? <laughs> but no, it actually, it actually might happen today. You know, everybody was always so concerned about Trump's finger on the button. Well, somebody else's finger is on the button today. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we don't know who's holding his hand and holding his fingers. But uh, anyway, I don't want to pick on the poor governments of the world. I want you to start to understand what the government of God is, which is the kingdom of God, and how it works. Because if you are actually seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I saw on the news that... Uh, was it Methodist Church? Uh, is now there's a, a huge division taking place in the Methodist Church. But the reality is whether that the uh, actual technical division takes place or not, uh, there's already a division uh, in the hearts and minds of people. And so we, our last two shows, uh, which uh, if you join the network, you, you'll. We'll send you out a notice when they're available to everybody. They're, uh, the, you know, we record them on different stations. And so, uh, but uh, if you join the network, we'll give you lots of information. And you can do that by going to preparingyou.com and following the network links or hisholychurch.org and following the network links. And you join the network by joining an email group in your area. That is actually meant to eventually help you create the living network, which is another one of those things that Christ commanded that his church do. His disciples, who were disciples mean students, they were learning what it was, what the doctrines of Jesus was, because those are very specific, because the church created by Jesus Christ established by Jesus Christ was to propagate his doctrines. Not the doctrines of men, which is why you see this church, whether it was the Methodist one, I can't remember, but I think it was. It doesn't really matter because there's already 40,000 different denominations and now there's going to be 40,001 different denominations and they're dividing because of the fact that they don't like the doctrines of men in this group, they want to have the doctrines of men in this group. <laughs> but none of them seem to want to really teach the doctrines of Jesus Christ. 
So how do you create the doctrines of men? Well, you, you're gonna need your conscience seared so that you do not, uh, follow the comforter, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And like we pointed out in the shows on conscience that we just did, that the word conscience shows up quite a few times in the New Testament, but you don't find it anywhere in the Old Testament. It doesn't, it's not there. So, what is it? Uh, if it's, uh, why don't they, didn't they have a conscience in the Old Testament? <laughs> well, again, this has to do with the uh, translations from Hebrew into English or Greek into English. And when they translate, you know, it just astounded me that they took those four or five different Greek words that are translated all into the single English word world. When I first discovered that some over half a century ago, I said, well, that doesn't seem to make good sense. I mean, we've got all kinds of English words. Uh, there are Greek words that show up in the Bible that don't show up anywhere else in Greek literature. You know why? Because they had to invent new Greek words <laughs> in order to explain to people the kingdom of God. They literally explained to them the constitution of the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God works. They needed new words to describe how the kingdom of God was to function in the world, but not of the world. Anyway, they, uh, they do have words in the Old Testament uh, that can mean conscience. And they often put these words, to, a couple of words together so that you know that there's, they're specifically talking about the conscience of an individual. Yet we know that that conscience can be seared. That you can... Uh, you can actually have your conscience so that you cannot uh, see clearly what is right and what is wrong. And one of the first things that began to sear the conscience of man was eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That he immediately realized that he didn't have the authority to decide what was good and evil. And that eating of his tree of knowledge this tree of knowledge in our midst, this mental capacity in our midst, eating of that alone is not going to tell you what is good and what is evil. You're going to get confused because you don't have the power to decide what is good and evil. You cannot make evil good or good evil. It is what it is. It already exists as evil or good. Now, one of the things that we always equate with evil is darkness. And, you know, that evil is this dark realm or comes from this dark realm. But darkness is just the absence of light. So what is really happening when you start eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is you're not eating of the tree of life. You're not eating of this source that would show you the truth. You're trying to figure it out for yourself in your own vanity. And then 
You don't want to admit that, so you hide from God in the Garden of Paradise. That's what Adam and Eve were doing. They were hiding from God because they did not want to admit they didn't have the ability, the authority to decide good and evil. And they were ashamed of that. They were ashamed of their nakedness, their lack of authority. So they went and hid from God. And so God wanted people to learn where the tree of life was. So he sent this supposed cherub or angel or whatever. In the Hebrew language we can look at it. But uh, it had this fiery lightsaber or something. This... And he stood by the tree. And this is one of the things that I also was thinking way back. You know, over a half a century ago, I was uh, quite a bit more than a half a century ago, I was thinking, well, he's not there to keep people from the tree of life. He's there as a beacon to draw them back to the tree of life. That's what he he's guarding it. So that it's there and protected for you to see. But in order to see the tree of life, you have to enter into the light that is there. You have to be willing to see it. And that's our problem. We we love the darkness. We hate the light because the light shows us that we're naked. We don't have the power to decide good and evil. Now, I... I know I don't have the power to decide good and evil. I'm constantly trying to find the light and share that light that I find with other people. But I know this. I do not have the right. I got a letter that I responded to. I actually got it several days ago from somebody in the Netherlands. And uh, they were asking me a question and about Romans 13. And uh, they'd clearly done some research on their own and thinking about this. And I sent them the article we have on Romans 13. I'd already sent them uh, the book on higher liberty, which is really addressing this misconception in the doctrines of men concerning Romans 13. And uh, was trying to... uh, They were trying to figure it out and they were asking, uh, kind of, are they getting it right? And... uh, and they seem to be, but it's really not my place to tell you what to believe. Is it, I can share with you, because there's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God, I can share with you what I'm discovering or seeing or what has been shown me, and I try to put it down in words that you can understand, but I can't tell you what to believe. But, because as soon as I start doing that, then that's the doctrines of men. That's the doctrines of Brother Gregory. We, The church's doctrines are not the doctrines of Brother Gregory. And we're going to get into this when we start talking more and more about doctrines. We're leading up to it with our last show on conscience and uh, and this show, which uh, I'm not even sure what it's going to be about. I, I thought about a lot of things, but uh, we have these ideologies that we create and they become our doctrines and we write them down and they become the doctrines of the church. The doctrine, uh, what Brother Gregory writes is not the doctrines of the church. The doctrines of the church are what Jesus Christ taught. It's that simple. Now there's a lot of stuff in the Bible, a lot of stuff in the New Testament that Jesus Christ never talked about. 
Never talked about it at all. And so therefore, that's not the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Now, you can believe something that Jesus Christ never talked about. That's your individual right. Hopefully, what you believe, you see because you're eating of the tree of life. And not just the tree of knowledge. And there's some telltale signs that you see when people are eating of the tree of knowledge. That they they're focusing on the letters and specific rituals and specific forms. You know, like you're going to wear certain clothes, you're going to say certain words, and you have to do it this way. And before you know it, you start hearing them. They're dictating. If you don't do it my way, you must be another denomination. Because they don't really believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the denomination. It's it, The people actually even do this with the Bible. They say, we're Bible believers. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means because there's 40,000 different interpretations. That There's actually a lot more, but there's at least 40,000 different denominations. And so there's must be at least 40,000 different denominations interpretations of the Bible. And what I said, there's really only one denomination in true Christianity because in true Christianity, there's only one denominator and that's Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is left, but we do have a lot of his words, the red letter Bible, you know, where you look in there and you can see, what did Jesus say? <laughs> you know, we always have that t-shirt. What? What did Jesus, what would Jesus do? Well, it's probably what he said. You know, so we want to know what Jesus actually said. In order to do that, sometimes we have to look at other books and other histories because we have to know the meaning of the words that he was using in the context in which he was using it, which was the time in which he was here. He's not here anymore. In the sense that, you know, physically walking around with lots of people and 5,000 people and their families, we don't see that. But he said he had to leave. He had to leave why? He had to leave so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the tree of life. And the Holy Spirit is that conscience of God. And we are supposed to be filled with the conscience of God, not the ideologies or the doctrines of men. If we're filled with the ideologies and doctrines of men, we're going to create divisions. We're going to divide ourselves. But if we're filled with the doctrines of the Holy Spirit, which Christ has sent to us, then we should be able to come together more and more and more. It's ideologies that divide us. If we look at the history of uh, the Ukraine, I shared on Facebook the history of Ukraine according to a political scientist. It was a six-year-old video talking about in 2014, 2015. But uh, he was saying the way to destroy Russia is to get it to invade the Ukraine. That was his conclusion. (laughs) So... Is that what's going on? Well, we'll have to talk about that, but we're going to talk more about the doctrines of Jesus Christ when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
We're going to shift a little bit here, but uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up is the leaven of the Pharisees, which, of course, the Pharisees were creating, they were virtually a political party, but they were also a denomination of Judaism. And they did things very, very differently than the Sadducees, although they seemed to get along a little bit more with the Sadducees. Uh, the Zealots uh, wanted to kill a lot of the Pharisees, uh, the Essenes wanted to have little to do with them, thought that their interpretation of the Torah was a fiction and a fraud, which was another amazing revelation point in learning a little bit about history. The Essenes didn't have the same view of the Torah. They used the Torah. They read the Torah. They spoke Hebrew. They understood that. They were probably, uh, you, you look at some of their their teachings, their doctrines, that existed before Jesus Christ even appeared on the scene, and you find them saying many of the same things, using some of the same metaphors as Jesus Christ was using when he was teaching. So, if if Jesus had any kind of upbringing that was related to any of these denominations that we see, any of these political parties that we see, uh, they're in Judea at that time. And the Essenes weren't just in Judea. They were all over the Roman Empire. They'd been around for hundreds of years. What we call the Essenes, this this philosophy of the, this non-homogeneous group called the Essenes, they, uh, they've been around for a long time, but they seem to be closer to the teachings of what Jesus was teaching than almost any of the others. I mean, you know, I can't say they it was exact or anything, but I just find, well, they said this, and Jesus said that, and they said this, and Jesus said that. <laughs> and so, there is this similarity. So, it would be reasonable to assume, and there's a, there's a lot of historical reasons to assume this, that many of the early Christians were from the group called the Scenes. Some of the Christians evidently were from the group called the Pharisees. Uh, I even believe that Caiaphas repented and became a Christian. There's, there's some evidence, historical evidence, that Caiaphas repented and became a Christian. It, it, he's, he stopped being what you would call an Essene, and he may have been murdered because of this. There's evidence of that as well. And became a Christian. And one of the things that makes me think that, besides the historical evidence and the archaeological evidence and, and all that, is the words of Jesus Christ himself. Because he was being tried. They didn't really have the power to try them. This was a false Sanhedrin. And I've given reasons why I say that. That was not the legitimate Sanhedrin at the time. And uh, we have a whole article up on Sanhedrin uh, at Preparing You, so you can go read that in your spare time, but we don't want to get off track here. But they didn't have a right to try Jesus. But he's not saying anything in his defense. But if they didn't have a... He didn't say anything in his defense when he was brought before Herod either. And not before Herod, before Pontius Pilate. He didn't say anything... In his defense then either, except for my kingdom is not of your constitutional order and system of government. In other words, he was telling Pontius Pilate, you ain't got no jurisdiction here. 
And Pontius Pilate was amazed and the son and recognized that because he washed his hands of the case. He didn't decide the case. He did later on agree that Jesus Christ was king of Judea and not subject to the Roman authority. And uh, they did they did scourge him. But you have to go study Roman law for a couple of years in order to figure out why did he do that <laughs> if they didn't have any authority over Jesus. Well, there was a complaint against Jesus that Rome might conjure up and and ended up Rome got its own weapon because it made that decision. And And I believe Pontius Pilate actually became a Christian. There's a lot of evidence to believe that. Uh, I believe his wife was already becoming a Christian. And his wife was the granddaughter of Tiberius Caesar, the favorite granddaughter of Tiberius Caesar. And she became a Christian. You know, that would give this idea of Christianity inroads into the royal families of the Roman Empire. Of course, a lot of those families were uh, killed off. Uh, you know, it was because you, you have Tiberius and then you have Caligula, who was this crazy, wacko guy. And Caligula was, uh, there was an insurrection in Rome. <laughs> and, an actual real insurrection. And Caligula uh, was killed along with all kinds of people in the royal household. And then the only one who was spared was Claudius. And then Claudius has an, an, an intrinsic connection with the people of Paul's household, Paul's relatives. And he admires them. You know, but uh, Nero, who may have, uh, whose mother may have poisoned <laughs> Claudius, that's what the history says, he wasn't, he was totally amoral. Totally crazy guy. And uh, he would be willing to blame his own burning of Rome on Christians and use them as a scapegoat while he pilfered the treasuries of Rome. Well, you know, we've already talked about the history repeating itself. Somebody's going to be fiddling while America burns. And uh, I don't know who it's going to be, but uh, we may we may live long enough to find that out. But uh, there's a lot of things going on. And what we want you to do is not connect all the intellectual dots that we can find hanging in the tree of knowledge. We want you to be connected to the light and the tree of life. In order to get connected to the tree of life, you have to be willing to walk into the light and see the truth about your own nakedness, about your own confusion, about your own your own misconception. And one of the things that the Pharisees did not want to see is their misunderstanding of the Torah. They didn't want to admit they were wrong. They hated Christ because he brought light to their confusion, to their darkness, to the darkness they sat in. Jesus talks several times uh, using this term leaven. And uh, he specifically talks about the leaven of the Pharisees. We see it in Matthew 16, 6. 
Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So evidently they had some leaven too, even though they were quite a bit different. I put up a page on leaven at Preparing You, and it's just basically some notes. Uh, but you can see these quotes in Matthew 16, 6 and uh, Matthew 16, 11. He, he's he's kind of on a roll there in Matthew uh, where he says, How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? He's not talking about yeast or sourdough bread. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what leaven means. I mean, it it does mean that, but it also means what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? Well, in the very next verse, he says, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrines of... Of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrines. Because that was dividing people. The doctrines of the Zealots. The doctrines of the Essenes. What they're teaching. Doctrines just means what they're teaching. And you could go to the Methodist Church. And you can go to the Presbyterian Church. And you can go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But they're all teaching their doctrines. And their doctrines are the doctrines of men. And some of their doctrines may be true. And and maybe you can believe some of their doctrines. But you're not supposed to be believing in the tree of knowledge. You're supposed to be believing in the tree of life. And you're supposed to have a conscience that is given to you by the tree of life. A conscience that's given to you by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about a lot of things and we have talked about a lot of things. You can go back, you know, 10 years before the first revolution in, uh, uh, you can go back even, uh, uh, well, you can go way back and, uh, in the early days of the Ukrainian revolution back there in 2014, 2015, we were already recording. <laughs> We already recorded hundreds of shows trying to show you and the Ukrainians what the solution is. and uh, But instead, they have still chosen to sit in darkness, many of them. Uh, we actually have people that have been here to the Burning Bush Festival from the Ukraine. And they're right now trying to get some more of their relatives out of the Ukraine. And um, the reality is, is that the solution... To the problem in the Ukraine. Putin doesn't have it. Biden doesn't have it. Christ had it. And what we have in the Ukraine is a division between the East and the West, and between this philosophy and that philosophy. There's a lot of, well, almost, I won't say all, but there's a lot of socialists. There's some democratic socialists, as in, you know, Nazi. That's what Nazi stands for, Democratic Socialist Party. There is an element of that, mostly in the West, uh, Ukraine. Over there in the East, there, there are this other group that are kind of communist, uh, at least pro-Russia. And uh, there, there's these different factions. And there has been persecution on both sides. 
And uh, there has been, I mean, if you go back to, as far back in their history as World War II, there was there was literal genocide going on in the Ukraine amongst Ukrainians. And this division is what comes from the doctrines of men because they think this and they think that. So in the second half of the show, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I brought up amongst Christian groups that they cannot see. They just cannot see it. But I wanted you to understand this idea of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees is the doctrines that you bring in one idea into your doctrine and you make it something that is more important to you than the light itself. And you're going to defend that doctrine. And you will create divisions with that doctrine. And so we we see that that doctrine, that teaching, is if it's dividing people, and it's not a doctrine of Jesus Christ, because now Jesus said he was bringing a sword, so his doctrine does divide people too. But it's it's really meant to divide those who want to sit in darkness, who love the darkness, from those people who love the light. Being born again, as we see talked about in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is actually being born from above. We have an article, Born Again. I should put put it so that if you looked up Born Again or Born From Above, (laughs) you would go to the same article because that's really what the Gospel was talking about, this Born Again. Jesus was talking about Born Again. That if you, and he goes on, he always now, when you read that about born again, if you come across that when you're reading your Bible, make sure you keep reading to verse 20 and 21, (laughs) maybe 22. Go all the way to the end of the chapter. Because you're not born again if you're still doing evil. You're, you're not born again if you're still doing evil. Wow. I just crossed a lot of people off the born-again group, didn't it? Because a lot of them are doing evil. And now, now, a lot of them think they're not doing evil. You know, like I quit smoking and I quit carousing, you know, with uh, women and I quit going to the bar when I was born again. So I must be born again because I stopped doing those evil things. But what if I brought up some evil thing that you've been doing, some work of iniquity that you've been doing that you think is okay, but it shows that you're not really born again, then I'm the enemy. Because I showed you that you're not really born again yet. Because you're still doing evil. So now I'm evil. The guy who's bringing in the light becomes the evil because you don't want to admit you're still a worker of iniquity and so what you have over here is people fighting in Ukraine on the east and on the west and and they're fighting each other and they're killing each other and and now some of them are actually coming together because they want to kill Russians and and uh, so what but they're not seeing the intrinsic problem that is dividing them, which is they don't want to see that you cannot be a socialist 
and a Christian at the same time. Now, not that's a statement that a lot of people just cannot receive. You you cannot be coveting your neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority one over the other and tell me that you believe in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said you are not to be like the governments who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. They give you benefits. They give you gifts, gratuities, and benefits. It is not to be that way with you. If it is that way with you, if you're doing that, whether you're a Methodist or a Seventh-day Adventist or a Jehovah Witness or a Catholic, if you're going to men who exercise authority one over the other, rulers of the world, and asking them for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you're engaged in a covetous practice, which according to the Ten Statements, the Ten Commandments, as we call them, of God, you're a worker of iniquity. You're a sinner. And you're choosing to sin. I'm not talking about somebody who stumbles. I'm talking about somebody who chooses to ask men who exercise authority to take from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. If you think that's okay, you are not born again. You are not born... Because that idea, that ideology, that doctrine is not born from above. It was not that way from the beginning. So, I don't know who all is listening, but lots and lots of people out there were to hear me say that, they're going to say, I'm bad, (laughs) I'm evil, but what am I saying? I'm just saying what Jesus Christ said. And the Pharisees said that was okay. See, they had instituted, with the help of Herod, they had instituted a system of Corbin, a system of sacrifice, that's what Corbin means, to take away from their neighbor, to force the contributions of the people. You had to sign up, you had to consent. You know, in order to get the benefit, you had to sign up. You had to register. But then once you did, then Herod, and through his power as king, could go from house to house and take and take and take and take and take and take, which of course Samuel said a king would be able to do eventually. That's what eventually where he would take you. And they've done that in the Ukraine. And they've done that in the Soviet Union. And they've done that in Germany. And they've done that in Poland. And they've done that in France. And they've done that in England. And we've done that in America. And they've done it in Australia as well. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're going through a lot in Australia. I just was in contact with one of our ministers in Australia. And uh, they've had a lot of flooding. <laughs> Lots of flooding. Water is 31 feet deep. In some place I heard it from somebody else that was 70 feet deep. But uh, he's fortunately kind of up on a hill. But uh, the roads are cut off. So... Uh, but uh, he says he's doing okay. 
But uh, that's part of that networking that Christ, he wanted us to form. See, this is what Paul was doing. And they eventually had this thing. Somebody was asking about this uh, uh, Jerusalem Council. And a lot of people think that the Jerusalem Council was almost some sort of legislature legislating what you could believe and not believe. What you could do and not do. But that's not what it was. If you go read our article on Sanhedrin, this is what they try. The Sanhedrin, originally appointed by Moses, was the 70 guys who were to kind of be this 70 counselors of wisdom in the kingdom of Israel. And they were still around, uh, you know, before Herod and during Herod. But during Herod's reign, a bunch of them marched out of the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin had become corrupted. Well, it, it actually was, the whole history had become corrupted quite a bit before that because it was becoming a legislature for the people. It was making rules for the people. But when the people signed up for the Corbin of the Pharisees, they were able to make lots more rules. And most of those rules were about taking and taking and taking and taking. And uh, they could exclude you from doing business because now the the temple was big business. And, uh, you know, uh, Claudius, who I just mentioned, the Emperor Claudius, actually saw a bunch of people who he called Jews, but they were probably Christian Jews, followers of Jesus Jews, and who later would become known as Christians. So he wouldn't refer to them as Christians. He would refer to them as Jews. But he thought they were a bunch of troublemakers, and 14,000 men in their families had to leave Rome. They couldn't go to Rome anymore. They couldn't do business in Rome. They had to get out of town. They were excluded. And, of course, history repeats itself. You know, uh, they're about to end vaccine mandates on April 1st. <laughs> I thought, you're going to do it on April 1st? I mean, like, so until now, until April 1st, because we're in March, it's still a mandate, but by April 1st, we will end the mandate. On April Fool's Day. Uh, but the local hospital, a local 100 miles away, fired 80 of their employees who would not get the vaccination. They're excluded. They're cast out. They can't be working there no more. And uh, yet they know the vaccine mandates are going to be terminated in less than 30 days. They're still firing all those people. What the tarnations is that? I got noticed last night that the CDC and the Oregon Health Authority is now saying that people, young people participating in sports, now I don't know uh, how far they're taking this, but the young people participating in sports need to get an EKG before they participate in sports. 
And then I, just this morning, I got news of another 22-year-old girl from Oxford dropping dead, doing sports. Um, but they're concealing the information as to why she dropped dead. Or, and, of course, they'll conceal whether or not she was vaccinated. But all these rules, all these mandates are coming down from the kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth. And a lot of them, they have the power to do that because... You have been coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority, and that gives them more and more power. Polybius explained this. Plutarch explained this, although he kind of wanted more power. Uh, certainly John the Baptist said, no, you don't do it through force. You don't take care of one another through force. You don't love one another through force because it's not love to force one another to contribute to what you think is right because you're now imposing your doctrines on other people, your teachings. And you have divided yourself from your brother by doing so. But we're going to show more how this all fits together when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. So come right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in uh, in this leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus also mentions the leaven of Herod. And uh, he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And uh, he said that in Mark 8, uh, verse 15. But uh, this whole idea of adding some little thing in that we think is okay, but actually will cause the whole thing to be ruined is very important for us to keep in, in our minds so that we realize that you can't just say, okay, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods in the area of education because education is so important. So let's that's okay if we covet our neighbor's goods in the area of education. So it's okay that we force everybody in our community to pay for the schools that we want for our children, even though a lot of them don't send their kids to those schools. You know, they may homeschool, they may go to private schools, whatever. But we're still going to force our neighbor to pay for our public education because education is so important. But as soon as you do that, you've cut out the light. You, you've blocked out the truth. You separated yourself out. What about fire departments? I mean, it's very important that we have fire departments that keep our houses safe, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, it's okay if we tax our neighbor. And what you're doing, you know, like when you put this on the property tax rolls, you're saying, if you do not pay for our school, our fire department, etc., a share of, according to the value of your house, you do not pay that in to our government so that we can have fire departments and public schools. We're going to take your whole house away. You, you skip a couple year payments and we're going to take your whole house away. And in many states, they take, you know, like in Oregon, they terminate your ownership of the house. And, and they will send the sheriff there to put you out of that house. That's iniquity. It's legal. Iniquity. 
It is not from above. In early America, you know who built the schools? The people. The militias actually built most of the schools in, like, Virginia. And what's the militia? It's just people. It's every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45, and and at least that's the way it's defined still today in the statutes of your Sanhedrin. Oh, excuse me, your Congress. <laughs> and, you know, in the United States Congress and Senate, uh, House of Representatives and Senate, they have defined... The militia is every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. It doesn't say everyone that is signed up. It says every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45 by the U.S. Code, statutes of the U.S. United States government codes, is a part of the militia. So... Rettenhouse was a part of the militia because <laughs> he was 17. I mean, that's what the law says. That's why they didn't want to go there. <laughs> Somebody might bring that up. You might actually have a smart lawyer in there. <laughs> that's how they built schools. That's how they built roads. And uh, people contributed to the roads. Occasionally, they had to build a bridge, and they would often make it a toll bridge until the bridge was paid off. And... Uh, you know, that's the way they did it. And uh, they they when they put in a bridge like that, you could still swim the creek if you want. <laughs> you didn't have to take the bridge. You wouldn't have to pay the toll. They could not pave a road, you know, or, you know, make a road and keep you from traveling that road if the road was already an established path. It's right of way. You already had this right of way established by walking it or riding it or even taking your wagon on it. But they come along and improve the road. They can't, they can't bar you from the road just because they improved it. Now, a bridge, they could do that. That's part of the infrastructure. They could say you can't use the bridge unless you pay the toll. And, uh, of course, Rome had all these kinds of rules in there. And the only reason I mention it, because this isn't about roads, it is about paths, <laughs> the path of Christ, following the ways of Christ, or not following the ways of Christ. But back to the Jerusalem Council, that wasn't the legislature. Uh, that wasn't what Paul was doing or what Jesus was doing, or, or you know, because supposedly Jesus appointed Paul. Uh, it's not what Peter was doing. And Peter wasn't the Pope. He wasn't even the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, but he had faith when other guys didn't have faith. And so that's what made him the rock. That's what makes you the rock of the church is when you move by faith. You move it, move not by the knowledge of men, not by the tree of the knowledge of men, but by the tree of life, the tree of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's why he blessed Simon to call him a rock, is because he knew it not by the knowledge of men. Like, uh, the person who wrote me from the Netherlands, I think it's maybe his wife who wrote me. I'm, I'm not familiar with the names, 
But uh, uh, the original guy who wrote me, uh, he was – you know, actually, I have to go back and look at the emails because it says it's from one person, but it, it's signing off from another. But So I'm not sure who I'm talking to. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, they're saying that when they're reading some of these things that, you know, we publish for free – you know, the books are all online for free. Uh, they said it was ringing true. I can't, I don't have the email right in front of me, but it, it was ringing in their hearts. And of course, if we go to the Old Testament and we look for this word conscience, we won't find it, but we will find the words reigns and heart. You see, the conscience of the Holy Spirit, the conscience of the tree of life, reigns in the flesh and it writes itself in your heart so that when you read these things and you say, oh, that's right, forcing my neighbor. And there are actually people, somebody was telling me just this week, they've heard people who were asked why they homeschool and, of course, I've done this for 40 years, 45 years. And I said, well, I homeschool because I'm a Christian. And they think, like, well, I'm a Christian. I don't homeschool. And well, no, you are willing to force your neighbor to contribute to your child's education under threat of having his house taken away from him and him put out on the street. If he doesn't pay for your child's education. That's not following Christ. That's not Christian. That's that's a work of iniquity. That's a covetous practice. And that will make you merchandise. And they will know not only you and your house. But they will own your mind. They will control your mind. Because you've shut out the light. Now, a lot of people, they no one ever told them. You know, like the eunuch and Philip. Nobody ever told them. Until somebody told them, he didn't know. But you could have told somebody else the same thing you told the eunuch, and he wouldn't get it. But the eunuch got it. He understood. I, how would I know unless you told me? Well, no. All he did was bear witness. All Philip did was bear witness that individual was willing to see it, just like the people in the Netherlands. They hear it and they say, well, Jiminy, that makes sense. Nobody ever told me. But it already made sense in their heart. It just not didn't get to come to the service. You know, like a matzo ball. <laughs> it's got to come, you know. And so... A lot of people are chewing on these things, but hadn't come to the surface yet, so that it's become a part of their doctrine. The doctrines of Christ must become your doctrines, or really, your doctrines must become the doctrines of Christ. And one of the greatest obstacles to your doctrines becoming the doctrines of Christ is you already are worshipping the doctrines of men. You know, I... I I'm not a good artist. I'm a stick man kind of artist. Occasionally, some strange reason, I draw a pretty good picture over over my whole life. <laughs> but most of it's it's not very good. But uh, 
the uh, this idea of getting, you know, you have to be willing to set down the doctrines of men in order to receive the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's partly why this word that in the Hebrew means kidney, which is very important, you control your kidneys, which is really controlling your bladder, and maybe that word kidney even includes the bladder. But uh, but this control, this word kidney, is the word for reins of control. And this word for conscience is this reins in heart. The, the conscience of God, the Holy Spirit, reigns the heart of the individual. See, a lot of people are all worked up about the Ukraine or whatever, you know, or worked up about, oh, we don't want to go to war. Well, maybe we do want to go to war. Actually, I don't think we do, but uh, I'm not going to, like people say, well, where, where does the church stand on guns? Well, for one thing, you shouldn't stand on guns. It's it's not good for them. <laughs> so, no, the point is, you have a right to own a gun. You have a right to own a pocket knife. You have a right to own a sword. You have a right to do that. Churches has no, uh, no legislative power to say whether or not you can own a gun. The, the church is actually separate from the people. The church is the called out. That's where we get the word church from. Or we use this, we get it from church aid in the Old English, but the word that we see in the actual biblical text is ecclesia, and ecclesia means called out. The apostles were called out. The Sanhedrin was called out. Uh, other ministers like Barnabas was called out. He was called out, he was known as Hoses. And he was a Levite who was supposedly already called out by Moses but because of the doctrines of men, many of the Levites were now owning property in their own personal name. That was not allowed in the Old Testament. The Levites could not own property in fee simple, really own the land. I mean, nobody in America owns land. That's why they get to tax you in order to build their schools. But that's another whole story. We can, we've explained that. If you go to His Holy Church or... Or preparing you dot, well, the best thing to do is join the network and ask somebody, what does he mean by that? That we don't own our property anymore. <laughs> and they'll direct you to articles that show you the law. It's not a secret. It's just a secret to you because you've been over there on those branches in the tree of knowledge and you didn't see these branches over here. <laughs> so the reality is, is that you need to realize that you don't have the right to legislate doctrine if you're a part of the called out ministers of Christ. Chances are you're not really all that much out if you're still putting people out of their house because they don't pay for what you want. That you are a worker of iniquity and you do not know Jesus Christ and your conscience is not from above and you're not born again. You're under a strong delusion. And and th- this series of shows is because somebody brought up this question on the minister's group. Or actually, they brought it up by sending me an email. And, uh, and so we're pointing out that the... And so there's little aspects of this. Like the Jerusalem Council was not a legislature. 
They were not creating new doctrine. They were expressing the idea. Nobody, nobody, you know, those people who still wanted to get circumcised could still get circumcised. Those people who wanted to follow the Jewish traditions that they had learned since they were a kid, even though we show you, you know, like the sewing of the breeches for the Levites has nothing to do with underwear. The prayer shawl and the fringe on your prayer shawl has nothing to do with little strings, blue strings. It doesn't have anything to do with that. That And the stones of the altar that are supposed to be unhewn, that builds the altar on which you burn up sheep, has nothing to do with piles of stones and rocks and setting sheep on fire. It has nothing to do with that at all. The Essenes knew it had nothing to do with that. The Pharisees said, no, no, that's what we have to do. And we gotta wear these shawls and we gotta wear these little skull caps and, and nowhere was it saying that people couldn't do that. Cause they're not legislating. They're saying that you don't have to teach that. Because that's the doctrines of men. That was the interpretations of the Pharisees. But it's also the leaven of the Pharisees. And that leaven can ruin everything. But we don't have the right to say you can't do that. Wear whatever hat you want. And, or, or, you know, set up any system you want. You can even elect a king. If you want to have a king or a president or a prime minister, you can do that. The church cannot tell you you cannot elect a king. So we don't tell you who to vote for. You know, we, we may talk about the individuals and say, you know, that, that guy there is a lot more iniquity. <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm just observing in that guy. But you get to make the choice because Christ came to set you free so that you could make those choices. You still have to make those choices by having your heart reined in by the Holy Spirit. So that when you see that our interpretation, as I write it down, of Romans 13... And it rings something true in your heart. Then you need to act upon that. And we show you what Christ said to do to act upon that. That liberty that Christ has given you. That there is something essential about sacrifice. You know, Paul even says it. You know, husbands, love thy wives as Christ loved the called out. How did he love the called out? He gave his life. You know, arrest me. Don't arrest them. Take me. Don't don't bother with them. And he laid down his life so that they the appointment of the kingdom to the apostles would be sanctioned by Rome itself. Rome would write a proclamation. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of the Judea. Jesus is the king of Judea. In three languages. As a Roman proclamation. By a guy who had the authority to write it out at that particular time. All that arranged by God. But he wrote it down. And they wanted it. It was so important. That they wanted them to take it down. Now the Roman church, all their crucifix, they show a little like broken board with a couple of letters on it, on their crucifixes. I always thought that would like, was that what it looked like? 
You know, they even have one movie where some Roman centurion is writing it somehow or other on a on a board and and hanging it up there. And uh, no, no, that's that was a proclamation. That's and, and, which is why you find Rome actually in the beginning protecting the early called out, the early church, the early church ministers. Paul even uses that as a defense in front of Agrippa and Aquila. Uh, uh, Agrippa and uh, Festus. And uh, because it, it is, it was a separate government. Recognized by the Roman Empire. It's even still recognized by the Holy Roman Empire, but nobody seems to know who the true, ho- real, ho- His Holy Church is. Because we have a harlot in our midst who rides on the back of a beast and the daughters of the harlot who ride on the back of the beast who do not take care of the people in their congregations through pure religion, which is a religion of free will offerings, a social safety net of free will offerings, but they take care of most of the needy in their congregations, their churches, their enclaves, whatever it is, by forcing the contributions through men who exercise authority one over the other. They don't, the church doesn't force it, the congregation. They have a beast, a, an authority that forces the congregations of the people to contribute to the treasury of their welfare. That is that is opposite of what Moses said. That is opposite of what Abraham was doing. That is opposite of what Christ's doctrines said to do. But they're arguing over, you know, gay marriage. I, I didn't know all of the things, but I know gay marriage and maybe the ordination of their ministers. They're arguing over that and creating a new denomination of, with that, whatever it was, Methodist church. I don't know, it could have been Lutheran now. I can't even remember what they said, but it doesn't make any difference. It's not the church established by Christ. Because they have this huge stumbling block, which I, I've been adding to our article on stumbling block as well. <laughs> uh, this stumbling block, which is, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government, through your legislature. But the key thing here in this part of the show is that the Sanhedrin was not a legislature. The church council at Jerusalem was not a legislature. We have only one legislator, and that is the Holy Spirit. And it's up to the individual to find that Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit is reigning your heart. It is giving you back the conscience of God. The consciousness of God. That God breathed into you in the beginning. But in order to receive that breath, you must bring it in and breathe it out. You must put it into action. You must become a doer of the word. And that's a challenge because your destination at the beginning when in Matthew 9, 
35. He says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues. As synagogues are congregations of ten. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. Now that actually can come about where that those sicknesses and diseases are being healed. Instead of what the world is doing now is spreading sickness and disease. Spreading wars and rumors of wars. Spreading famine. Destroying the economy so that there will be famine in the land. A dearth in the land. That's what comes from, you know, you can still elect your presidents and prime ministers. Your actors. <laughs> That's what they did in Ukraine. They elected an actor. Because the, because he, he created, that is, it was just shocking is that he, he created, I'd like to know who funded it. He created a, a production company, created a show where he was a teacher who got elected the president of the country. And then he went and got elected president of the country. I, I still have this feeling he's an actor. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he knows he's an actor. Maybe he's a method actor. But anyway, the reality is, is the solution is in Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God takes care of all your social welfare needs through faith, hope, and charity. And the only way to do that is to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And in the reigning of your heart, willing to sacrifice for one another, the Holy Spirit shall increase in you. And you will become a part of the singularity of God's creation. And... Instead of just a little inkling in your heart. You won't need me at all to explain these things. You'll just know it in your heart and in your mind. Because you're actually listening to God in your heart and in your mind. But you have to turn that mystery of the kingdom of God into the reality of your own life. And sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands is a challenge. Because the doctrines of men are going to constantly try to divide you. Even if those doctrines of men are created by men who read the Bible. Most people reading the Bible don't know what they're reading. You know, if you still think that God said, pile up stones and burn up sheep, and that will make me happy. You're under strong delusion. That is brought to you by the leaven of the Pharisees. Because the Essenes wouldn't do that. Oh, they had Passover, but they ate that lamb. They cooked it. And they didn't cook it with the wool on. <laughs> like they did. I, I knew somebody who considered themselves Messianic Jews. And they were going to have the Feast of Tabernacle. And they were going to have a sacrifice of sheep. And they didn't read the fine print. They didn't, they didn't allow common sense to enter in to understand what they were reading. And of course they, you know, it was really a guy I thought highly of. He was a pretty smart guy and he saw certain things that most people did not see. But there's always another layer. You see, the journey is the destination. 
And seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is a never-ending journey. But that's where you need to start. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. And I hope you'll be there. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we only got a little bit of time here. But, but just to finish the thing, uh, I always wanted to make this drawing of somebody, you know, like a cartoon drawing of... Uh, a little guy pulling a cart behind him, and on the cart was a statue of a golden calf. And he's speaking to another guy who is supposedly Abraham, and uh, or Moses doesn't really matter. <laughs> and he's and you look at the this the statue, and it's made funny, like it's something stacked upon itself to make the legs and all the body and everything. It's all these like little bricks or something, and. And uh, supposedly there's a criticism of the fact that uh, you've made an idol. You, you've created an idol that looks like a golden calf. And he says, it's okay. I made it out of Bibles. And that's, uh, to me, that was funny. Now, to other people, they think like, what is he talking about? But the reality is, and when I first thought of this was like a half a century ago. And I... Is that that's what we do? So we we take the Bible, when we which was given to us by Eusebius, written by lots of different people at lots of different times in more than one language, and uh, we read it, thinking we know what they're talking about. You know, like the, the the Levites get the kidneys when it's actually the Levites get the reins of control over the sacrifice you give them. And the Levites were the stones of the altar. The stone gathering of stones is a gathering of friends. I just, during the break, I added to our page on altars, clay and stone. You know, are the altars of clay and stone an allegory describing a social structure through free will sacrifice to bind society through the practice of faith, hope, and charity according to the perfect law of liberty? That's the question I asked there under the the picture of 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 somebody praying at a pile of stones where there's a sheep hanging on the uh, pile of stones and uh, it's being burned up and supposedly God finds that favor in that that burnt up sheep that is set on fire burning up the wool and everything with the sheep and so God is happy. The Essenes knew that's not what they were talking about. Just the same as Jesus had to explain. You know, when I said leaven, I'm not talking about bread. <laughs> and if you knew Hebrew, when he says pile of stones, he's not talking about stones and rocks. Because the same word for a pile of stones is a gathering of friends. And, it, and the friends are the people you trust. And so, an altar of clay is, it's an altar of Adama. You're Adama. You're clay. You're the red clay. The walking around, living, breathing red clay. You're the Adama. An altar of clay is an altar of people. It's a synagogue. It's a gathering of men. It's this clay that breathes and has a soul. And altar of stones is 
is men who've been tested in, over time so that you know that they're, you know, they've either been by pressure, they've become a stone, it's clay that's become a stone, or by heat, it's clay that's become a stone. But a gathering of those men who you trust is the altar. You give them your sacrifice and it's burnt up to you. It's not burnt up on top of them. <coughs> it's, but it's, that sacrifice is now in their control. Each of them, but they don't hew each other. They're not a, a Congress that says, oh, we think we ought to do it this way, and these guys over here think they ought to do it that way, and then because 51% say we should do it this way, everybody has to do it that way. No. Each each stone is supportive of the sacrifice that is given them. You don't give it to the group, you give it to the individual. And they own all things in common, but they're not regulated by legislative power. They're not hewn. They get to use their God-given conscience totally, all the time. This is what that, that, all the altars of stone, that's what it's about. Where they, so the, those stones were the social safety net of pure religion that allowed the people to remain free and not snared because there's a table that snares. Paul says so, quoting David, that they are taking care of one another. So your social welfare system today, thanks to FDR, LBJ, and your parents and grandparents, is a system of iniquity. Because it's based on men who exercise authority and use force, not charity. They call it legal charity, but it's not real charity. It's fake charity. It's false charity. And it's put you into bondage, not only legally, but mentally. Because now when I point that out, that that plan is not from above, but it's out of the darkness. Many of you do not want to see it. You do not want to realize it. Some of you do see it and say, well, that is covetous. That is a covetous practice that Peter says will make you merchandise. That Peter says will curse your children. And of course it has with that. So, but instead of sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and creating an international network of charity that cares about their neighbors, not only the neighbors they know and the neighbors in their congregation or their synagogue or their home church, but cares about people in Ukraine or people in Australia. And you are willing to sacrifice your control over something to give to men you trust so that they can take care of this business of caring about others as much as you can. Because you're not going to go to the Ukraine. You, you don't have any contact with people in the Ukraine. You don't know anybody in the Ukraine. I know somebody who know, has relatives in the Ukraine. And I, like I said, I communicated last night with somebody in Australia. 
And actually last night was somebody in the Netherlands, although they're not in a congregation yet, they're beginning to see, they're beginning the journey. But I'm just one guy. And and I've got people here in America that want to join my congregation, the congregation that I minister to. I minister to other ministers. I don't minister to a ten-family congregation. I administer to way more than ten families, but I do it through these ministers. Because the kingdom of God is all about giving the power of choice to somebody else. Giving up some of your power of choice to somebody else. The kingdoms of the world, they're about taking away your power of choice. You can't work in this hospital anymore because you won't get vaccinated. Oh, you can't be in this school because you won't wear the mask. You can't shop in this store because you don't have a mask on. You can't eat in this restaurant because you're not wearing a burqa. I mean, it's the same thing. I'm just, it's the same spirit. Just repeated in a lot of different ways. And it's growing in America. Now there is a reaction against it. Like the truckers. I guess by next weekend they'll be in Washington, D.C. But unless they know Christ, you see that they'll, I had a friend, still, he's still my friend, although he doesn't, he's not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. <laughs> Uh, but he wanted to help people. They were closing roads. You couldn't drive on these roads in the forest anymore, which is actually making the forest, endangering the forest. But uh, they were closing the roads, and he wanted to work so that the roads would be open for these guys because this is an infringement upon their rights. But these guys are infringing. They... They fight to get the road open so they can take their four-wheeler up in the woods. But on the rest of the week, they want to force their neighbor to contribute to the public school where they send their kids. And they are willing to take away, put their neighbor out rather than, uh, you know, of of their own house. Even though they only have a legal title to it. So it's all legal. It's just not the morality of the tree of life. It doesn't include the reins of control of Christ in your heart. It is unrighteousness. And we have to repent of that and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not our righteousness, not the doctrines of what we think, you know, that you have to do this and you have to believe this and you have to say this, even though Christ didn't say that. You say it because you read it somewhere in the Bible. Actually, it doesn't even say you have to believe it in the Bible. It just says this is the case. Somebody wrote it in one of the Gospels that this is the way it is. Or maybe they wrote it in two of the Gospels. But two, two other guys writing the Gospels never even mention it. They never even suggest it. Jesus never talks about it. So it's not, you, I'm not against you believing it because you read it in the Bible and you think you know what it is. That, that's your choice. That is not my job to regulate what you think. My job is to propagate the doctrines of Jesus Christ. What he said. If we get that done, we'll talk about the other stuff. 
If we get you to stop coveting your neighbor's goods through systems of social welfare that depend upon men who exercise authority one over the other, and you agree to stop riding the back of the beast as a harlot, then we can talk about the other stuff. And we will contemplate. But I'm not going to dictate to you what to believe. And that's why there are some things that people ask me about. And they, they say, well, where do you write about this? Oh, well, I don't. I don't write about that. Well, why not? That's important. Well, where did Christ talk about that? Well, he didn't. Well, then it's not important. <laughs> I mean, it may be important in your particular walk. But that's an individual thing. That's why the church's doctrines are the doctrines of Jesus Christ. They're not the doctrines of Paul. I'll read Paul. I'm not saying that... And I don't really believe the doctrines of Jesus Christ are contrary to what Paul actually was saying in the context of that time in history. And even Paul occasionally says, uh, this is just me saying this. He's just a guy. But Christ is not just a guy. Now, you can misinterpret Christ as well if you don't have a knowledge of the terms and of the words, etc. And and occasionally Christ, uh, actually quite a few times, Christ says, you know, I'm not talking about the leaven of bread. <laughs> My kingdom's not of your world. You ain't got no jurisdiction. You can't say that. Most of you can't say that. Because they do got jurisdiction. And they got jurisdiction because of your covetous practices. Because you're, you're naked. And you think you can still figure it out with your intellectual brain. That would mean that there are no people with a low IQ in the kingdom of God. And I can guarantee you there are people with a very high IQ. <laughs> And a very low IQ. As a matter of fact, it is easier for a person with a low IQ to get into the kingdom of God than it is for a person with a high IQ to get into the kingdom of God. Which is a paraphrase off of the rich man. Because if you're really smart and you got a lot of branches in your tree of knowledge, you may not be able to see the truth at all. The simple guy, the hard-working guy, loves his family, loves his kids, loves his neighbor, sacrifices himself, you know, on a regular basis. He's he's probably going to get into the kingdom before the rich guy, the smart guy, the guy with six degrees. I always tell the story about a guy wanting to become a minister of his holy church, which anybody can do. You just have to be called by Christ. I can't tell whether you're called by Christ. But I can tell you what Christ said you had to do if you wanted to be one of his disciples. And that's where a lot of guys who think they're ministers stop. Whoa! He said that? Yeah, he said that. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I want to keep my stuff. You know, and Jesus even had a guy. He he gives half of everything he got. Now, how many people can say that? You know, he gives half of his wealth away. Of course, he's a wealthy guy, so he can give half away and still live higher than most people. 
and he takes care of the poor and everything, and he, and he, he wanted to do more. Well, what's more than that? Uh, give 55% away? <laughs> no, he wanted to become one of his disciples. And he says, okay, give it all away. Come follow me. Barnabas did. Uh, in truth, Paul did. Certainly Peter did. But they, and the Levites did. The Levites could not own any personal property in their name. And that was the big thing in Israel, because everybody was going to own their own land. There was no property tax in early Israel. There was no taxes in early Israel. There was tithing. And again, I, I have to qualify that. There was half-dime worth of taxes for the heads of families in order to ante up to be a part of the synagogues, the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands that formed the nation of Israel. Anybody could pay it for you. So nobody could be excluded because they didn't have a half a dime. And that's once a year. But that was the ante up to say, I'm in. And after that, all taxes were voluntary. We call them tithes. You tithe to them according to their service. You laid the sheep on the altars of living stones according to who you thought, by looking out amongst yourselves and finding men you trust, would do a good job in creating a social safety net for a society of free men. If you're not doing that, you're not going to be a free man. You know, I, I even hate to use the word free man because if you're doing what Christ said, you're not free. Except you're free of all the gods of the world, small g gods of the world. But your heart is reined in by the Holy Spirit. It is guided by the Holy Spirit. You're not just throwing $20 bills out the window to guys with a sign. You're actually doing what will take care of the needy of society in faith, open charity. You're willing to walk into the light and see that what you were doing before was not right. And you want to repent, think differently. Because until you're willing to think differently, how is God going to reign in your heart? Another way they write this in Hebrews and in Jeremiah is that God is going to write upon your heart and upon your mind. He isn't going to give me the power to write upon your heart and upon your mind. He isn't going to give the legislature a right to decide what is good and evil. He's not going to give the Supreme Court the right to decide what is good and evil. He's not going to give the president the right to decide what is good and evil. He's going to give you the right to do what is right. And you're going to know what is right because he's writing upon your heart. And he's going to write upon your heart because you stop trying to rule over your neighbor and instead you set your neighbor free. Until you're willing to set your neighbor free from your greed, your avarice, your wantonness, your desire for free benefits... Until you're willing to set your neighbor free. See, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing this, you know, people go in and the store doesn't say you have to wear the mask. But other customers say, wear your mask. Pull that up over your nose. 
And, and I forgive them for saying that. That that's where real power. Can, can you forgive them? Because sometimes it's a little hard. There, there's a lot of Karens out there. I hate to use that word Karens, because there are some people who are actually named Karen, <laughs> and they may not be Karens, <laughs> but uh, the those people who just throw a fit. That is that is not born from above. But they could still repent. I mean, it took a long time for people to start trusting Paul. Because he was holding the coats of the guys who stoned Stephen. But there's so much to learn about what is going on. So I'm going to leave you with, uh, I guess we got a little bit of time, but uh, they they were asking, somebody hadn't, I I don't know if they had read it already, but uh, they were trying to figure out, based on the meaning of the word exousia, uh, that we see in the Greek text of Romans 13, that is sometimes translated power, sometimes translated government, uh, but it actually means, and it's, it's not in question. Like I said, it's the strongest word in the Hebrew language, I know it's Hebrew, Greek language, strongest word in the Greek language for liberty. It replaced the eleutheria word because it was absolute right to choose that's what it means the right to choose it's that choice that right to choose and so we, we, we translate it according to that you know Romans 13 Romans 13 says let every soul be subject unto the higher liberty for there is no liberty but of God the liberties that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth or opposes the liberty resisteth the ordinance of God. And if you're forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you're opposing the ordinance of God. Even though it's legal to do that, you're opposing God and his ordinances. And they that resist receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Now, who are rulers? You know, if I uh, if I build an orchard and a farm and all this stuff, and I own the land and fee simple, I'm the ruler of that land. <laughs> and if you want to come work for me, you can come work for me on whatever terms we set. Well, you know, I, I might own a plantation. And you, you could come work on my plantation. And I'm the ruler of that plantation. And maybe I start a government. <laughs> and say, if you want to come and eat at my table, you can, but I'm the ruler. So, you end up with rulers, but the reason you have all these rulers is because you rejected God to begin with. But anyway, he says, for rulers are not a terror to good works any more than Pontius Pilate was a terror to Jesus Christ. But to the evil, and which of course Pontius Pilate ended up really upsetting the Pharisees because he, he posted that sign. Why do you think he did that? He was coming to grips with the same truth that his wife was discovering. Wilt thou then be afraid of the liberty? That's what people are afraid of. 
Because with that liberty comes responsibility. If you want your rights back, you have to take your responsibilities back. You have to feed your children. You have to take care of one another. You have to take care of your neighbor. You have to be there for one another. You have to become minutemen of righteousness. Not just minutemen of anger and resentment. An insurrection. You don't want to be an insurrectionist. You want to be a conformist to Christ and the teachings of Christ. Not to manufacture doctrines of men. Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. And of course, that's what Pontius Pilate did. He praised Jesus as the the rightful king of Judea. And and when when challenged now by the Pharisees, who he kind of capitulated to to begin with, in order to keep the peace, he was going to keep the peace. Pharisees want this guy tried, so I'll keep the peace. And got himself into a lot of trouble. He suffered for that. Caiaphas, manipulated too, by his father-in-law, to condemn Christ. Boy, I'm sure he struggled with that, the same as Peter struggled with his denial of Christ. So, are you going to keep denying Christ and what he said about not exercising authority one over the other? Well, see you again on Keys of the Kingdom. Peace on your house. God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.